Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, the Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? Doing fine. Doing fine like cherry wine. <laughs> oh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> Had to put off the start of the recording for one of my famous half-hour dumps. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are here about 27 minutes after... The official record time we set on the calendar. You know how it is, Ben. You know how it is. You knew yeah. what you were getting into. <laughs> I knew I knew what I was signing up for when I married him. <laughs> <laughs> you knew when you married me that you'd have to put up with all of you my You were going to have to share me with every toilet. <laughs> uh. So I'm sorry... If when you use the bathroom, the seat's still warm. (laughs) Adam, I think uh, a lot of people know I'm getting over something, so I have to apologize again if my voice is a little weird. I think you sound great. I have the thing where I can't tell if I sound great because my ears are stuffed up. You know what's awful about this is that you would be pretty bad at at the classic office workplace sick call, because if you were to call (laughs) me to tell you that you were sick, as your boss, I probably wouldn't believe you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of are my boss in in, in a way, you know. Uh, Ben, I'm your daddy. I'm not your boss. Oh, gross. (laughs) (laughs) I'm reporting you to HR. (laughs) (laughs) What's Rob going to do about it? I fucking dare him. Uh, Adam, it's been a long time since we've done a Raskin Open. I don't know if I'm familiar with with what a Raskin Open is. You coined the term. It's, it's named after Judith Raskin, the lady that oh. paid for all the all the park benches at the park near my house. I because I'm, she loves the birds there so much. I don't know her, but I'm a huge fan. Yeah, those well, those park benches are a delight. I think she left those park benches in her will, so I, I don't think you actually are going to have an opportunity to make her acquaintance. No, no, sadly not. But uh, there's been a lot of bird developments since we've last talked about the birds, and I just, uh, I've, I've felt remiss in not updating the folks. Yeah, I'm ready for an update. It's been a while. I have just had the most remarkable experience. For a few moments, I actually felt the air currents beneath my wings, the exhilaration of soaring above the treetops. <laughs> oh, and everybody's head about the One of my favorite things about going to the park is that the there you see the life cycle. You know, like L.A. is a weird city that's always seventy-two degrees and sunny, and. It's uh, it really fucks with your sense of the passage of time. Like I was uh, I was at a party last night talking to a bunch of people who had moved from New York to L.A. and I was talking about that passage of time thing, and they're like, "Yeah, like I can remember my time in New York in like three month increments. Like I I know when stuff happened relative to other stuff, and mm. I've been here for the same amount of time, and it's just a blur." Yeah. And the park is really cool because like you watched like oh like these birds have all showed up now they're like 
making they're pairing off and they're you know like occasionally you'll walk through the park and watch like a male duck holding a female duck down and and uh and doing the bone zone it's like geez ducks fuck really messed up hey man don't don't duck shame them <laughs> i guess it's just their way yeah i mean as, as long as they're two consenting ducks yeah they should uh they should have fun in whatever way they want but um there have been a couple of times when I've seen like a lone baby duck in the lake mm. and like, you know, walking around the lake, I get like, I, you know, I'll see a baby duck by itself. And, you know, you always see baby ducks in their, in their group with their mom. And when you see one by itself, it's, it, it worries you. Cause you're like that, that baby got separated from all the other ducks, you know? Yeah. I just found out that there's miniature ducks in this lake. I was not seeing baby ducks. I was seeing ducks that are smaller than normal ducks. What? Yeah. So I've had like I've had I've gone to the park like walking the dog and had like full emotional like feeling like my like heart is breaking because I'm watching I'm seeing a baby duck swim around lost, you know, separated from its family, definitely not going to survive this ordeal. And now I find out it's just a tinier duck. Wow. Yeah. So that's one thing that's going on. <laughs> the one thing that should have clued you into that is the one park bench that says, look at all these tiny fucked up ducks. And then the, <laughs> the quote attributed to uh, Judith Raskin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that bench is uh, far off in the corner, though, of the park. Yeah, yeah there's usually a, uh, usually a guy sleeping one off on that bench. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other big development uh, happened maybe like three months ago. Uh, saw the arrival of uh, some Egyptian geese. Have you ever seen Egyptian geese? No. Um, Look them. Give, give do okay. an image search on Egyptian geese. They're spectacular, weird birds. They like they're like the size of a Canada goose, but they're oh. a little bit more duck looking, and they really have really have remarkable plumage. And wow! Yeah, they've got. You know what they have is they have like killer whale eye. Yeah, right? they kind of do. Yeah, because because yeah. uh, the plumage around the eye is very dark, thus making the eye look very big. Yeah, a lot of people call them the orcas of the bird world. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're they're hanging around, and I also go through crazy emotional uh, throws with these guys because. Originally, there were four of them, and then for a while, there were three of them, and then there were just two of them, and and they're always in a group, so I was, like, I was, uh, I was imagining that a, a coyote had, uh, had come down mm. off the, uh, off the hill and right. gotten one of these guys, and it was very upsetting to me because they're so weird and, like, the, the weird thing about them is that they're always just kind of, like, walking around together, like... They they just live in the park. They just walk around. Like, they don't ever seem like they're doing anything. They're just mm. kind of loitering, you know? And, and it just made me really sad that one of these guys got grabbed by a yote. And then the, suddenly they're back to four. Just, uh, I don't know where the other two went. Maybe they uh, maybe they would made a run to the store. <laughs> yeah. Went shopping so, uh, for the others. Like... You have really strong feelings for these birds, Ben. You think I you're do. a birdman? You know, 
when I watch uh, those like David Attenborough documentaries, it's really hard for me to accept like what a challenge it is to to live in the wild. Yeah, it makes me feel feelings. Wow, I'm I'm too cold. I I just <laughs> I watch those things stone faced, just accepting of the laws of the wild. <laughs> Well, I think also I feel bad because my dog is obsessed with the idea of picking a fight with a goose. Like, And you want to give that to him, don't you? Like, if like, you love I, your dog, you want to give him a win, right? I don't think he would win. I, I think a Canada goose would kick Darwin's ass. Canada goose kicks a lot of animals' ass. Yeah, and Canada a Canada goose, goose would kick a my ass. ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, a mean-ass bird. Yeah. They They're see no- you coming and they hiss and they stick their tongues at you? Yeah. They're no good. Yeah. No good at all. But they're good eating. <laughs> you eat a Canada goose on, yeah, a, on a holiday dinner? Yeah, on Boxing Day. <laughs> Found this one shitting in my yard. <laughs> Enjoy. Well, my yard is full of gray-green pellets. Ugh. Gross. Wow, that sounds like a delight. You get yourself a burger at the Burger Shack in that yeah, park, Ben? I do. That's I, one I of actually the good burgers, that, I think. Yeah, they get written up as like one of the great burgers in L.A. a lot. I think that the chicken sandwich is the uh, is the sleeper hit there, though. Hmm, I have not gotten it. One thing I don't like about that park is that the the paddle boats are all swans. Yeah, that happened since I moved here. They, uh, I don't they, like that. They swapped out plane paddle boats for swan paddle boats. Give me a plane paddle boat. Why does it have to have the big the big neck obscures my vision of the lake? Yeah, yeah, that messes up your your opportunities for paddle boat photography, etc. <laughs> Especially when you're a birdman such as yourself, he yeah, desires yeah. for nothing else than taking pictures of his favorite birds. I. That's all I want. Wow. Feeling all the feelings at the park. Speaking of <laughs> semi-domesticated animals, Adam, yeah. we got an episode with Farmer Hoggett in it. <laughs> nice pivot. I was wondering how you were going to get it done. <laughs> Good show. Do you want to uh, speak to me about season four, episode six, Starship Down? I sure do, Ben. It's oh, a, I could have gone, uh, speaking of geese, we've got an episode about down. Right. You know what? I like I like it as said originally. I, okay. I, I don't like the punch-up. Okay. It, was, it, was a, it wasn't a punch-up. It was a lateral punch at best. It was, yeah. It <laughs> you, was, know, you don't want to punch down. It was not an uppercut. It was a cross. <laughs> Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> No, of course you don't. You know, this starts off like one of those real boring Star Trek eps that are about, like, the economies between two cultures. Yeah. The economic intrigue episode used to be a a major grounding for a story in TNG, and I thought that's what we were going to get here with the meeting between the Karema Commerce Ministry and one Ben Sisko. Yeah, do you think that Karama is where that one host from Queer Eye comes from? Yes. Yes, that's very funny, Ben. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you know, you know, the Flophouse is an entire podcast about how words that sound like other words are a funny idea. 
You think you're above that? and They're 10 times funnier than us. You know, I think my problem is that I am behind several seasons on that show. Oh, man. And maybe... Your season's good. Yeah. And they, they go to Lawrence, Kansas in one of the episodes. Oh, that's a place a, we've been. A place we've been. Hmm. This is like a meeting at the table in the Little D. What they've done is they've driven the Little D into the G-Quad, and uh, they've met up with the Karama uh, and their ship. And so this guy, Hanok, played by James Cromwell, beams over to do a little uh, a little negotiating. And what they found out with the help of Quark as kind of a mediator is that tariffs are no good for their trade economy, Ben. Yeah, they have not been shopping at the duty-free uh, shop that I'm sure Deep Space Nine has. No. Uh, they're they're getting crippled with duty, and uh, I guess the Ferengi via Quark have somehow been put in charge of arranging deals between the Federation and the Karama. Boy, if there is any, <laughs> if there's anything you need to suspend disbelief about in this episode, it's that. Do you remember the first episode that we meet the Ferengi and they are introduced as like a very serious uh, antagonist to the Federation and a real a real villain in in this universe? Cisco never should have trusted Quark in this role because he's seen Quark uh, wave a contract over his head before uh, snapping it at the person he wanted to sign it, <laughs> like so many Ferengi whips. I'm just saying, like, they they were, like, on an even footing with the Federation in terms of their uh, power in the quadrant in yeah. that episode. Yeah. How far the mighty have fallen. Now they're now they are the errand boys for the Federation. Yeah. Ze- under Zek's rulership, the, Fer- the Ferengi have not done well. I mean, it just kind of goes to show uh, what the end game is for those that seek to fuck with the universe economy, you know? Yeah. Those who want to get one over... And the other guys? The fraudsters are not going to win in the long run. No. We can't let them. We get a scene... I mean, we, what we get are like a bunch of reaction shots from yeah. Ben Sisko. He's not He's not telling Hanok that Quark is in a ton of trouble at this point, but it's pretty clear that uh, yeah. once Hanok leaves, Quark is going to be grounded big time. Yeah, so... Uh, th- this is like one of those things where uh, this is set up, this is kind of head-fainted as being the A story, but it is really just an excuse to, to get the D, to get the little D in a dangerous place with another ship, because uh, pretty soon Cisco gets called up to the bridge because Jem'Hadar are in the neighborhood. Yeah, a couple of ticks closing in fast. And uh, I love Hannock in this scene because everyone's like kind of assembled on the bridge to to meet this challenge. And Hannock's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go ahead and beam back over and get myself up." <laughs> that's sort of uh, that's sort of the Karema way. <laughs> and uh, Cisco doesn't let him. I'm not about to turn you over to them. Cisco kind of that'll be the day is him. <laughs> like we know nothing of Hannock's relationship to Cisco, but this is a big thick underline to their relationship that I was yeah. not expecting. I'm never going to let you die, Hannock. <laughs> Hannock's like, wow, uh, you're <laughs> kind of making me uncomfortable with how much you're willing to defend my honor. <laughs> Cisco is going to stand and fight with these Jem'Hadar, and uh, 
I guess the Jem'Hadar are going to kind of target the Karaman ship. So it is the Defiant attempting to defend that ship. It's an escort mission, and anybody that's played video games knows that escort missions are fucking bullshit. Right. But yeah, the uh, the Karaman ship is uh, is dinged up pretty badly, and it has to descend into the atmosphere of the planet that they met up in orbit of. Hanuk's like, they're going into the atmosphere to give themselves up there. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was with them. <laughs> Godspeed. <laughs> Any uh, second thoughts about maybe letting me go? I just really want to give myself up. <laughs> If anyone could just point me to the nearest hatch, we can go ahead and get that done. <laughs> I'll just uh, jump across the breach. <laughs> uh, Kira describes this planet as a uh, so, uh, in a way that kind of caught my attention. She says it's a Class J gas giant, which was actually the division I competed in when I was a professional speed eater. <laughs> 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 was that walk long enough <laughs> I love that like just just at the moment where I was ready to like set up a tent uh, we, we, we had reached the punchline Ben if you were to be a speed eater what would be your uh, your food um, I think that chicken wings are a food that I have eaten at a pace that seems like professional speed yeah by accident it seems <laughs> so. like you could go pro as as someone who's witnessed such a thing yeah yeah maybe like 40 ounce malt liquors i could i could uh be competitive with i don't know i'm not like a gulp of beer down guy i just you're, drink too quickly you're an old edward 40 hands guy from back in the day aren't you i never i never actually had them taped on but uh <laughs> but because uh, they I'm, had they were emptied too fast <laughs> Like, yeah, by the exactly. time anyone would tape them, you were already, yeah. already done. They were still trying to find where the start of the tape was on the roll. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, done. <laughs> God, that is just a whole lot of liquid, man. <laughs> a whole lot. That's the fucked up thing about that challenge is the is the going pee part, because you can't get your, your trousers undone when you have 40s taped to your hands. Did you, were you drinking malt liquor when you did that, or just... Uh, yeah, like, uh, oh, Old English. Fuck. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> I was like 22, you know? Yeah. I, I had hurricane ice when I when I drank the 40s. I don't even know if they make that anymore. I've never heard of hurricane ice. Yeah. Yeah, what you want is either a malt or an ice beverage. Imagine if your life was like a hurricane, Adam. Hmm. Hmm. I can't even... You know what this episode is like? Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, and by extension, submarine films. God, it sure is. You know I love a submarine film, and I love things that resemble submarine films. Uh-huh. But is this episode too on the nose? Like, we get full-on, we get the, we gotta seal the compartment or people will die. We yeah. get the creaky sounds of a ship being crushed in an atmosphere, like... We it's get the torpedoes so... in the water. We got We dodged the first one, but the second, you know, like ev like it is the trope salad that you make submarine films out of. I can save like how I really feel about it for the review portion, but like I, I was hoping for a variation on the theme and not the exact paint by numbers <laughs> theme of that. You know, 
Yeah. Golden cut. The cut. So the deal is that they're the two ticks and the Karaman ship and the little D going around in this gas giant's atmosphere. So they've got the scrambled porn on the on the view screen. They can't see out the front of the ship. Tactical. Inoperative. They've got torpedoes. They're like modifying. Uh, probes to be torpedoes. Doctor, would you care to assist me in performing surgery on a torpedo? And I guess I'm not really sure why they had to modify probes instead of just using the torpedoes, but... It's because the guidance systems don't work in the muck. This whole plan is insane. Like, why (laughs) even go into the atmosphere? They have two kilometers of sensor range, Ben, which is like a unit of distance that's so small you rarely ever get it in Star Trek. I think they go into the atmosphere because the Karamans tried to ditch the Jem'Hadar in there, and they're nominally on the uh, escort mission. But everything is going wrong, and eventually the Jem'Hadar... Like, it seems like the Jem'Hadar are not quite as crippled by the effects of the planet as the as the little d is right yeah yeah i mean in in a way that's similar to this episode being to a submarine film i thought this episode would also be very similar to that tng episode of disaster because they kind of set up ensign carson as the greenhorn on the bridge right and then they start knocking off bridge crewmen and i'm like okay well this is uh this is ensign carson's time to shine and they give her a bunch of lines up front and then we never see her again. Yeah, if, if they give her a bunch of lines and then we got to know her a little bit so that when she got a girder dropped on her, it hurt <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, the girder gets dropped on her off screen. She just disappears. I shall avenge you. That's like a very weird choice because they definitely are doing disaster tropes also, like separating people into kind of interesting groups. Yeah. So we've got Quark and uh, and the trade minister... Mm-hmm. We've in the and they're in the mess hall, and then Jadzia is like down in a in a Jeffrey's tube with uh, with another guy who's who seems like a red shirt, right? Like when when O'Brien tells Muniz to go help Dax, like it's like that guy is gonna fucking die. Boy, I I'm totally in agreement with you there. There were a couple of guys that you see in fleeting moments of disaster, and you think, well. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a better version of the thing that happened in this uh, current season of Star Trek Discovery when uh, when that Barzan lady, yeah, Commander Non, like when they like specifically comment on her red shirt, you know, you know, what's and then the other guy dies. It's like it's like that. Like they've given these characters names and lines, and they're not killing them in this episode. It's so confusing because later on, two bridge crewmen are killed, and you see their melted faces, but they're. Neither of them are people that we even saw at all as living. Yeah. So why wouldn't they choose to kill someone we know? Boyce and Peterson are dead, sir. Instead, they kill all girders everywhere. (laughs) There's so many support structures that fall out of the ceiling in this episode. It's almost like comically crazy how many fall out of the ceiling. I really like that this episode uses foreground sparks during the bangers. I can't remember ever seeing sparks go off in between the camera and the characters when we're shooting them head on. Mm -hmm. But they do that quite a bit here. They're forward of the the plane of focus in the camera, so they they really like glow on the screen. Yeah. Super dynamic. God, the spark budget on this episode... (laughs) <laughs> Off the charts. They really spent on the sparks. Yeah. 
they kill one of the Jem'Hadar ships with their probe trick pretty quickly, but the other is still out there, and uh, and they get a banger dropped on them that unleashes all the girders, and uh, Cisco gets bonked on the profit noggin. And uh, we've had a bit of exposition from Kira that this is a special, like, Bajoran Lent holiday mm. to celebrate the, the coming of the prophet. They, uh, they, they fast for, for a day to, to honor his coming. I thought it was interesting that, like, they introduced the idea of her fasting, and that is never an element of suspense here during her situation with Cisco. Yeah, I kind of thought that that was just like um, the other choice would be like put a put an ash cross on her forehead or something like that, you know. Yeah. I think it's a way to get the characters talking about Cisco's spiritual significance in this scene. True. Yeah. Like, I thought it was a little manipulative that uh, Cisco's assault soup exploded on him <laughs> uh, during the banger because, I mean, yeah. he's covered in tomato bisque. Stop me! And it looks like he's wounded far worse yeah. than he is, but as it is, he's wounded uh pretty badly because he's got uh he's got brain bleeding. He is in a bad way. And uh there's not really anything they can do because the doctor and Dax are out of comms range. Uh Dax is kind of the Steve Zahn of this episode. She's uh she's down there with Muni's and uh, they finish fixing some critical system, and Muni's makes it through the door, and Dax gets a couple of lungfuls of gas from the atmosphere of this planet. Doctor, close that bulkhead. But Jadzia's still in there. No, Doctor. That's an order. Bashir closes himself into a small compartment with her, and uh, she's in a really bad way, and Cisco's in a really bad way. You know, nothing against Terry Farrell's performance here, but... Uh, you look at Sonequa Martin-Green's performance inhaling poison atmospheric <laughs> gas <laughs> compared to Dax's. Juliet! Not very comparable. Well, it's, it's different because uh, she didn't get tied to a chair for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty tame gas, I think. It's an interesting episode because Dax and Cisco sort of become non-factors in it after this as far as like performances go you know they're basically sleeping for the rest of the episode cisco's in full-on savasana pose on the the bridge being tended to by kira yeah dedicating his practice yeah (laughs) i think you know whenever there's a head injury on a tv show i feel like there's someone making a makeshift pillow for the head where's where's cisco's pillow yeah, and, and uh, his biggest fan, Kira, who's going through like a... I mean, initially she's like trying to tell him stories and, try, you know, she's pitching him on a four-shift rotation, giving us that Captain Jellico realness. <laughs> That'll never work, Kira. Giving me life with that Captain Jellico realness, honey. <laughs> but uh, But then she shifts to like telling stories and then eventually shifts to like full-blown bargaining with the deities for his life prayer it's a good kira episode isn't it it is like you can really trust nana visitor with a an acting job where she has to act by herself and nobody is helping her oh boy that's a great point because even though she's acting across from avery brooks she's kind of not right yeah he's basically just a 
you know, they might as well just put a, a Avery Brooks dummy on the floor. Not only that, I mean, Nana Visitor is so expressive and the scene is so dimly lit. Uh, it also like sort of handicaps her performance in that way, too. And she's still like she shines right through that darkness. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought up the lighting because this episode is very dark. But at the beginning, the bridge is even like is super brightly lit, like more brightly lit than I think the little D typically is. I felt the same way. Yeah. And I think that they do that to just kind of give us some, some to give us some contrast. Bias. Yeah, after the after the ship is really messed up, but yeah. I think they kind of overdid it a little bit. Yeah, so we cut we cross cut from the bridge with Kira and Cisco and the turbo lift with Bashir and Dax that they've they've uh, escaped to for the time being, and uh, and also to Quark and Hanak, who are still arguing. Over, <laughs> over the tariffs and what Quark has done to manipulate him, and Hanak uh, is not having it at Hanak all. Hanak is uh, kind of presenting himself as uh, like an anti-greed business nerd. Like he he loves calculating like an appropriate margin for a product based on you know the cost of goods and and the uh, and the labor involved in producing it. And Quark is like. Much more a like uh, yeah, like you buy something and you see what you can get it, you know, you can sell it for. It's like gambling. It's exciting. It's he approaches business from a very different standpoint. He's and an idealist really... of the kind that would be crushed under the boot heel of modern capitalism. <laughs> right. His light would be extinguished like a like so many cigarettes. Well, he's like uh, he's like one of those people that thinks economics is a hard science and not a social science. Sure. You know, like uh, that people are rational actors that make non-emotional choices in the marketplace. Yeah, people are crazy. People be crazy. (laughs) You see what you can get away with and you got to figure the other guy's doing the same to you. That's not the way the karma conduct business. Oh, come on. But that facade kind of crumbles when when a torpedo hits the ship. Yeah, and it's a dud. (laughs) Yeah. This it's is the, the one way that I feel like we get an interesting variation on the theme of submarine film, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because because like Worf is kind of running the show from engineering, and there's like a there's like an E storyline about Chief O'Brien teaching Worf how to be a good leader, which Worf I feel like almost didn't make it to engineering because he had to hold open a door uh, to get out of the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> he went over to the door and uh, he's like, uh, "Kira, can you can you come can you come help me?" <laughs> It's deep background, so you can't really see his struggle. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene where, like, this, you know, they dodge the first torpedo and the second one's coming in, and the guy's like, it's 75 meters. It's 50 meters. <laughs> I'm like, how fucking slow is this? space torpedo (laughs) it's covering 25 meters in like several seconds wow that is a great point (laughs) Uh. like all you need to do is add a couple of zeros to those figures and it makes a lot more sense right right but i think they kind of tied their hands when they gave the two kilometer sensor range yeah that's true but yeah, so it, this uh, this torpedo lodges itself in the side of the ship. It's dug in like an Alabama tick, Adam. 
<laughs> ben, is there any way to make this scene not funny? Because we've got a two shot of Hanak and Quark, and then we like I think we whip pan over to the hull. Yeah. That the torpedo has has penetrated, and I just laughed out loud. <laughs> is is it because the torpedo's glowing and it and it's not glowing red, for example? Like I don't know. There's something about the scene that's cartoonish. Yeah, it's it's a little bit silly. And what we come to understand is that Hanak is actually the person that sold the torpedoes to the Jem'Hadar. He's not he's not just in business with the Federation. He and, uh, uh, he's been hoisted on his own torpedo. <laughs> <laughs> How embarrassing. Maybe I should offer them a refund. <laughs> he and Quark really bond over the idea of uh, getting a, giving the Jem'Hadar a refund for this torpedo. Yeah, because it, it sort of makes Hanak into a hypocrite, right? Like, he's not the hardcore idealist that he's made himself out to be earlier. Like, he's a guy that works in the margins by selling arms to the Jem'Hadar. Like... And, yeah. and also not selling quality arms to the Jem'Hadar. I totally understand this approach, though, right? Like, if you can get everybody to believe that you're, like, a real, like, honest-to-goodness, plays-by-the-rules business person, like, it makes it easier for you to fuck them over, right? Yeah. So, so him being on his moral high horse about the way business is done actually kind of makes sense for his, his character, and it's a fun reveal. And by by selling to both sides of a conflict, uh, I mean they've really turned into Karema Burton as a yeah. company, right? <laughs> His last name is Cheney. <laughs> Hanak Cheney. I love this scene because you finally see the jaunty liner of Quark's shave ice jacket. <laughs> I never thought we'd see him take it off, but when he does, it's great. Yeah. You know, you don't always design a costume to to have a variation like this, and it's pretty cool to have seen this frock several times before we see its full capabilities. <laughs> Do you have a you have any jackets with jaunty liners? I feel like you have to, right? You're Benjamin R. Harrison. Um, my tuxedo has a fairly jaunty liner. Yeah, I would say. And I have like a brown corduroy jacket that you know those you know those cars that are, are kind of like purple, but then in the shifting light you see like green and orange and blue uh-huh. come out of the paint. I have a, a liner in a in a corduroy jacket that kind of looks like that, but you know you never actually see it, so it's not it's not meant to catch anybody's eye. I made a mistake with one of my jackets. I got a a Filson tweed jacket for very cheap on eBay like five years ago. Uh huh. And it was it was one of those weird one-off jackets that they didn't make many of. And so the liner was very plain. And not only that, it um, it would snag you when you put your arms through the, the armholes. Don't want that. And I started to tear it just through regular use. And so yeah. I took it to a tailor to get relined. And I, th- I, I think I chose a liner too jaunty <laughs> because it actually... it actually made me want to wear the jacket less because the pop from... Like, tweed is a very plain looking textile i think like it's like yeah. you definitely you definitely know it when you see it but it's not a look at me kind of quirk is never going to have a tweed garment right but the liner is so loud that it's all anyone can see when i wear it and i think i need to get it relined just to yeah. like to to reverse the interest of what 
of what the jacket looks like. You know, I want people to see the tweed, not the crazy liner. Yeah, you don't want it to be the pink and white stripes inside of Jerry Seinfeld's brown leather jacket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What is with the pink lining? I don't know. Got a pink lining. Cork, we have known to be a bit of a locksmith, I believe. So he actually pitches like opening up this bomb and... uh, and uh, doing the bomb tech thing where where they find the, the red wire and the green wire and decide which one to clip. So we've pollinated a submarine film with a with one of those action films where a bomb must be <laughs> yeah. used, right? It's, That's kind of fun. It's Die Hard 3 meets Crimson Tide. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. This is getting better and better. Indeed. This is when we come to understand that Han- Hannick was the was the salesman because he's uh, he's seen a schematic of these of these torpedoes and yeah. uh there's a pretty fun moment where cork just kind of like throws caution to the wind and reaches out re- reaches in and pulls out a component mm-hmm. that uh, has a 50 50 chance of setting the thing off we keep going around the horn in this episode uh where in a in a scene next to this one bashir shares his strange fantasy with dax about you know, it's so cold in the turbo lift, Ben. They've got to <laughs> seek the warmth of each other's arms. He's gotten too cold. Is it hypothermia? It looks like it. Is he going to be all right? And as soon as Dax crawls into Bashir's arms, I'm like, oh, God, Bashir, please don't say anything. Please don't say anything. Don't fuck <laughs> please, this up. Please don't go back to season one. And he actually refers to season one Bashir in like, you know, Dax, season one me. <laughs> would have turned this into something really creepy and i'll tell you exactly how yeah and she's like i'm kind of surprised that you're not season oneing around right now doesn't bashir know that even mentioning that makes you that creepy you he has become season one yeah. bashir am become season one destroyer <laughs> of relationships <laughs> It's nice because I don't know how much time we've had to digest season one Bashir. And, you know, I just watched that uh, that documentary on HBO, The Inventor. About oh, the, I've yet to see that, but I really want to. It's really interesting because there's two journalists who are like marquee interviews in, in the doc who wrote profile, like big magazine profiles for Fortune and The New Yorker about... Uh, this lady who turned out to be a fraudster before her fraud was understood by anybody. Mm -hmm. And they are like sitting there talking about like this, this person that they got wrong, you know? And it's like, I think it takes a ton of confidence in your own, in yourself to admit a mistake on a scale like that. And it is really cool to see this show chew on what a bad character Bashir was in season one in this episode. Yeah, so often Star Trek's character development begins with their characters as being almost perfect, and then at the end of eight seasons, you see their growth to become (laughs) even more perfect. (laughs) Bashir's not like that, and for as cringy as he was in season one, I don't think you can fully appreciate him without that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so I I think it's cool that they don't peanut butter over the fact that that was kind of a regrettable right. way of him being. Yeah. What are you doing now? Picard, 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 Picard. 
in- engineering, uh, Worf is being pitched an idea for a weapon system that sounds exactly like the deflector dish moonshot from Best of Both Worlds, <laughs> and he does not remember it. <laughs> The guy who was told to fire said deflector dish moonshot. Like, these engineers are describing exactly that. And Worf's (laughs) like, that is a very intriguing concept that I'm totally inexperienced with at all. (laughs) Even the two engineers look at each other like, really? Yeah. (laughs) Like, we actually, we stole this. Yeah. From you. We we read about this when we were studying to become engineers. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You know what would be a thrill for us as engineers if if you fired it for us? Like, like I I would just love to watch that. (laughs) Could uh, could one of us put on a fake beard and and give you the order? (laughs) And, And... like, let's see if we can get the Karamans to to send over a voicemail beforehand that says, like, uh, like, like the battle with the Jem'Hadar did not go well, Defiant. <laughs> oh, all Hanson all the time. Yeah. Ben. Um, <laughs> Keeping the memory alive. Hanson is my, is my mood all yeah. day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> Hanson is my resting state. Yeah, yeah, resting Hanson face. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, that was a fun scene. Worf is starting to get it, and, it, yeah. and it's based on O'Brien's advice. O'Brien makes the case that, like, look, you don't give an engineer an order; you give an engineer a problem that they can go out and solve. Yeah, they're they're just nerds that want to do math problems and. Uh, and like being a domineering asshole to them is not a great motivator. Like you're going to get worse work out of them because they're going to feel shitty about what they're doing. It's like telling someone that their job is to design a website that stays operational 24 <laughs> seven and not like giving them a task like uh, that's that's less specific. Give me a different simile that will actually be in the episode. <laughs> Can't do it. Don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the bridge, we hear the pan flute of imminent emissary death, uh, <laughs> which is a pretty bad sign, I think, because as yeah. as Kira starts grieving the pre-death of Ben Sisko, uh, the the pan flute becomes more apparent. It's a heavy moment, you know, and it's it is pretty crazy that Star Trek is occasionally able to get a character to speak in a nonsense made up language and have us be like, have, you know, give you the, give you the goosebumps that they're in like this very like serious spiritual space. You like know, this. Nana Visitor can do it cause she's done it before also. Yeah. Right. This is a, this is one of the many weapons in her arsenal. Yeah. She's great in this scene. The power of prayer works Adam. No, it doesn't. Well, in this scene, it does. It does. Yeah, that's true. I mean, who knows, right? Avery Brooks is doing a little... It's impossible uh, to separate the variables because they didn't give us an alternate universe scene where she doesn't pray. All right. That's fair. (laughs) You got me there. Yeah, I really got you dead to rights, you piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Something that's a little bit uh, act drunk adjacent feels like uh, act about to die, right? Yeah. And Avery Brooks is given that task in this episode and does a fairly good job. 
He does. It's a pretty subdued moment, but yeah, it seems like uh, seems like he's going to be okay, right? Well, especially because we get kind of an elliptical edit at the end of this whole thing that that ties things up very neatly in the form of a commander's log. But before we get there, we need to get to the uh, part of the show where Quark and Hanak disable the torpedo sticking into their room, right? Yeah. That moment where Quark reaches in and quote unquote clips the right wire without yeah. preparing Hanak beforehand, I think is great. Yeah. I think that is uh, perfectly He tears Quark. off the band-aid, you know? Yeah. I think I would want it that way if I'm in that in that scene, you know? Like I have at times been a slowly pull the band-aid off type of person, and that's not a good way to be, I think. If I'm gonna yeah. if I'm gonna bite it in that room, rip it right out. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, having had dental work done recently, like knowing that they're about to stab you with something is yeah. is the thing that makes that, you know, like all of the all of the build up to that is the is the part that sucks. I mean, getting stabbed also sucks, but like it's better if it just is like, oh, like, fuck, I just noticed something is happening. Oh, it's over. You know, still really encouraging of you finding another dentist. TPH. <laughs> I mean, they drilled out all the cavities. It's uh, it's over. The drilling does not go well, Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> Why is my dentist talking to me through a view screen? <laughs> <laughs> they like uh, they like blow up the gem hadar. Everything is like you know they they rescue all of the uh, all of the karamans and and uh, some security guy like pries open the door to the mess hall and Quark and Hanak. I've uh, have just gone right back to kibitzing about business. Morn, 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 sweet, morn, morn, morn. You need everybody. Morn, stop. Hammer time. We get a very long denouement. Yeah, on yeah, this we episode. do. It feels weird. The bolted on commander's log, and then the denouement of uh, I guess it it starts with Quark and Hanak at the Dabo table, right? Yeah, Hanak has. Uh, has, has poo-pooed the idea of gambling previously, but now that we know him to be a scumbag on Quark's level, uh, we see him get Dabo. I kind of see this as a Ben and Adam situation that hasn't played out to its natural conclusion. <laughs> Adam being, Quark being the Adam figure and, and Ben being the, the Hanok figure. Mm-hmm. Who has yet to enjoy gambling? <laughs> so you think that you think that you're going to get me into it? I think I think eventually uh, we may find ourselves at a craps table during Star Trek Las Vegas. Whoa, could be fun! Wow, spoiler alert! Could be fun. <laughs> I would stake Bill Tilly, but I don't want to play myself. Fine, that sounds like a great time. <laughs> yeah, we both stake Bill Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you lost a thousand dollars. What the fuck? <laughs> Bill, start a Patreon. <laughs> that's what we. That's what finally happens to get him to start one. Yeah, we get a. Uh, His we get a deep sl- sense of guilt. <laughs> Bill, set up, set up a Patreon. I love how. Uh, also in Quark's bar, we see that Morn sits far away from the dartboard these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keeping a critical eye on it from across the room. Yeah, keeping his uh, his signature side eye on that uh, on that dartboard. Not even Quark could hit him from that distance. I guess uh, Worf and O'Brien are good time buddies, drinking and talking about their days on the Big D. 
one of the engineers from the Defiant brings a repair plan to Worf, who seems to be sort of like the like the commanding officer of the Defiant in a lot of ways. Right. Right. Yeah, I definitely get that too. Like uh, like it's Cisco's ship, but Worf runs it most of the time. Did not take much time for that to happen, huh? Yeah. And it sort of happened off screen, I feel like, too. Do you get the sense that when Kira is aboard the Defiant, she is still the first officer? Or is Worf the first officer in a Defiant context? I mean, you never, you rarely see Kira sit in the big chair, is my, is my answer to that, you know? Yeah. I think the chair is the answer. The whole stuff between Kira and Cisco largely circled around the kind of the way their relationship was almost entirely professional because the position he holds in her faith tradition is you know makes it too weird for her to be around him in a in an off-duty context but uh but this harrowing experience has kind of made them both recognize that maybe they could uh maybe maybe they could lighten up a bit and uh get to know each other on a more personal level I I wish that the things that I told people made them glow the way that <laughs> Cisco telling Kira he's taking her to a baseball game make Nanavi's Zator's face glow in that I moment. Know. Like, wow. I, I wish I had that kind of power. I wish I made anyone that happy. If I'd ever had that effect on my, on my wife once. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's sort of happy, sad in that moment. I see that moment and I'm like, wow, great moment. And then also, oh... I wonder if I could ever make anyone feel that way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the last shot in the episode is Kira sitting at a crowded baseball stadium, and Cisco walks in and he says, I should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> what do you think the hot dogs at Quark's taste like? <laughs> I imagine they're like the 7-Eleven job that's like slowly rotating on on the rollers. Until, I imagine that they they're just a... They're just a giant mealworm the size of a hot dog on a uh, bun. <laughs> relish in your body. <laughs> Is it way to say put relish on that hot dog, Ben? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now you're using your noggin. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Uh, photo finish for this episode of The Greatest Generation. High five, freeze frame, roll credits. <laughs> 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 well done did you like the episode yeah i mean the tease of this episode 20 minutes in was that adam you will not like this episode because it is just so on the nose with the submarine stuff yeah but then 10 minutes after that uh it totally takes a left and it and it feels like it's a fresh variation on the theme like, yeah. it, it played against my expectations in a really fun way. Um, it also felt like there was a totally different sounding score to the episode. And this wasn't oh, something I was able to confirm. But uh, some of the the music elements, especially post-Banger, like in that mm -hmm. darkened bridge, sounded yeah. very un-Star Trek-like. Like, very... Um, you know how there's... God, I don't know how to describe it. Like non-melodic sounding and more more like the sound of pipes being struck or rhythmi <laughs> rhythmically or like I don't know, like something was interesting there that they were that they were introducing this episode that I hope they stick with. 
that uh, it did not uh, register to me in that way. But uh, that's an interesting observation. Great Kira episode for sure. Great Quark episode, actually, because for as much of a shithead as he is, <laughs> like he, this episode gives him the chance to defend not just his actions here, but every action that that leads up to this moment. And sure. it makes me see him in a slightly different way. I mean, he's he's no less undeserving of prison, <laughs> but uh, knowing what drives him specifically, I think is good stuff. And I think that he articulated it well. So that's my review. What's yours? I really like the episode. Um, I am a nasty little submarine cuck and uh, <laughs> I, I will always enjoy the salad of tropes of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want I, me to empty my bilge on you, huh? <laughs> you like that, you little submarine cuck. Yeah. Glug, glug. <laughs> In the immortal words of Jordan Morris. Yeah. You, you want me to, you want me to turn those valves, huh? You want me to turn them real hard. Yeah. I want the repair crew to get that, <laughs> that nasty little, uh, little water spray cut off. <laughs> you like those high PSIs, don't you? <laughs> oh, give me that crush depth. <laughs> Crush your nuts depth. <laughs> um, I, th- I think it's a really fun episode. It's it's an interesting season. Like, tonally, this couldn't be a harder left turn from the last episode that we watched. Yep. And I'm here for it, you know? It doesn't feel uneven or weird. It's starting to feel like they can kind of they can take wild swings like this and get away with it a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Interesting sequence. You know how we talk about sometimes like the sequence of an album being very specific yeah. in terms of what song comes after the one before it. Yeah. Thoughtful. More thoughtful than I would have expected. Indeed. Well, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages to check, Adam? Let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. Our first is from Steve, and it's to Kate. And it goes like this. Our marriage is based on more than TNG. Despite the evidence to the contrary... TNG games, bad movies, parties, and now this somewhat embarrassing podcast. Though I'm more data than JLP, for you, I'd take a phaser set to 16. Order maximum warp and resist even when it's futile. If you go to Anybody Canyon, I'll be there. Happy anniversary, Imzadi. Oh. It's hard for me to conceive of a relationship that's built on more than TNG, though. Like, I. <laughs> yeah. That must be cool. That must be nice. Uh, I really hope that this is anywhere close to these people's an- anniversary because it was ordered on the 7th of December. Oh, shit. <laughs> so uh, I I don't know how, if it lined up correctly or not, but... Uh, uh, happy belated, if that's the case. Yeah. I think uh, it's... Boy, it's really... It's a good news, bad news thing because we really appreciate the idea of selling these out because they really do... Uh, make yeah. a meaningful difference in 
funding for the show, but it's their popularity makes it so that sometimes uh, they don't get out on the dates that they are requested for. So thanks for sticking with us if you're uh, putting in for a P1. Yeah, I, somebody was asking me about if they could like attempt to line one up for a specific episode of Star Trek Voyager. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't know exactly what our schedule is going to be, but if you want to, like, attempt to do the math, go go for it. So they scheduled a P1 for, like, two years from now. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean... We or, already, I, I don't know if they actually did it or not, but that, that's what they said that they were going to do. We have their money. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'm not sure if that's how it works. No, we don't. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> we only get paid if it happens. Yeah. Uh, what a terrible deal. Yeah. Gonna well, I guess to... we're on the hook for Star Trek Voyager. Mm, I'm going to look at our contract. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is from Mrs. Eel. It is for Mr. Eel. And the message goes like this. Dear Mr. Ithic, I miss <laughs> I miss you and I love you. Here's the thing. Ithic is spelled I-T-H-C-K, right? That's Ithic. Yeah. Ithk? Yeah, could be. A, it seems like it's thick, but kind of jumbled. Oh, shit. I mean, is it mistyped? No, because there's no way you put the I before the th accidentally i it can see putting the i before the h i before t except after c right <laughs> dear mr ithk i miss you and i love you can't wait for you to come to greatest gen con in bella coola bc 2020 whoa <laughs> i just want to thank you for being the bestest of friends and better aka wincha wancha and that is uh, A-K-K-A-W-I-N-C-H-E-W-A-N-C-H-A. Aka Wincha Wancha. Gesundheit. <laughs> also, thank you for wasting Canadian taxpayer dollars sampling bull trout. With love, suck it. Wow. Nice to see a, the, a couple of eels have that much weird fun. Yeah. That yeah. is like a warm honeyed bosom level of impenetrable language. Yeah, I wonder if the the eels are uh, are aware of the bosom and if they're invited <laughs> in. Yeah, I don't know. Do binturongs and uh, and bull trout get along? I don't know. I think we're gonna find I... out in Bella Coola BC in 2020. <laughs> By that time, we'll be touring with a binturong. <laughs> I don't know why this works, but it does. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, if you'd like to send a priority one message, you go to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. It is 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and we really appreciate it. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Get that, get that gold press action. Am I right? Am I right? Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. 
And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I'm gonna, I mean, not for anything super specific, but I'm gonna give my Shimoda to O'Brien. I mm. think there's just, we get to learn so much about him and his leadership style in this app. Maybe yeah. more than we've ever learned before. Interesting that as an enlisted man, he's like the one that's kind of grabbing Worf's elbow and pulling him off into the corner of the room and telling him how to be a leader. I do not get that. <laughs> I mean, he does do the with all due respect thing, which is what you do when you're about to deliver some yeah. advice to someone that you shouldn't. Permission to tell you what to do, sir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I 
he becomes even more lovable, if that's possible, just by virtue of his interactions with the people that uh, that he orders around. Yeah. And he gets some reflected, like, comparison love by how much better he is at this than Worf. Yeah. Uh, but, like, he makes a couple of fun faces, like, when Worf is being a dick, and also <laughs> that uh, that you've got 10 moment when he, he like, really... There's something that engineers do in Star Trek when when they get an estimate of the time it takes to do a thing and then always asking for a couple fewer hours or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. uh he really went to that that Scotty school of of chief engineering and right. uh, I don't know, I like his brand of leadership here a lot. So I I just want to recognize that with my Shimoda. What about you? Um my Shimoda is Muni's uh, I'm I'm not really sure how to pronounce that name, and I feel like they pronounce it differently depending on who's saying it in this episode. There's not an Enye over the N, which I would have expected for yeah. Enrique Muniz, which is what it what his name is in the credits. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I definitely heard somebody say Muniz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> at some point, but uh, he's my Shimoda because when he is told to go get in the Jeffries tube and help Dax. He just turns around and it's revealed that he already has his lunchbox in his hand. <laughs> he was just standing there waiting for something. Hey, uh, hey, Moonies, it's an emergency situation. You don't get to take your break right now. <laughs> I really liked that. Yeah. He's my Shimoda. What do we have coming up on the next episode then? The next episode is season four, episode seven, Little Green Men. A mishap sends Quark, Ram, and Nog back in time to Earth of 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico, where military forces mistake them for alien invaders. I like it when you say the names Ram and Nog so close together so that it sounds like Ram and Nog. <laughs> a, a disgusting combination of ramen noodle soup and eggnog. The most umami holiday <laughs> beverage. That is thick with two C's right there. <laughs> this is one of those episodes, isn't it, Ben? Like, uh, uh, like yeah. one of the episodes that people think of when they think of DS9. I, of course, haven't seen it because I haven't seen any Deep Space Nine episodes after season two, I think. But looking forward to seeing this one. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to uh, discover if we will be doing it in any type of way? Let's do it. Okay. So we're on square... 88 we could hit a the traveler which would move us five spaces forward or we could hit a wormhole which would send us down to square 72 which is a quark's bar you're required to learn as you play roll trouble ahead ben give me a blow on this on this dice you know you say you don't want to gamble and yet what are we doing at the end of every episode ben throwing bones Did I win? Hardly. I have rolled a one. Our yeah. customary roll here on the Graves yeah. Generation. <laughs> uh, hit 89, so uh, we have all of the same peril next week. Hey, there you go. <laughs> well, uh, this episode, maybe more than any other, is a great time to thank everyone for supporting us during the Max Fun Drive. Yeah. At this moment in time, at the, at the time of this recording, we don't know if we've reached our goal... Uh, but it looks like the chances are pretty good. Yeah, we really, really appreciate everybody who's uh, come out to support the show. That is uh, 
a you know the max fun drive is a pretty crazy time of year for us and getting all of the love sent to to us that we got uh, during those two weeks was really amazing it's an amazing feeling to to make this show for you guys so we really really appreciate it thank you gotta thank uh everyone who supports the show on a show-by-show basis and by those people i mean individuals like adam ragusia yeah who makes the great theme and interstitial music based on the work of the great dark materia yep uh, we got to thank Bill Tilly, who's always making trading cards of all of our episodes and uh, posting them using the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. Uh, also on there is uh, JJ Lendl, who's making kind of portfolio print style movie posters of each episode and posting them every week before the episode drops. Those are always like really impressive and amazing. Yeah, yeah. The greatest. So good that, that we use them to market the show <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, uh, if you like the show, use the uh, podcatcher of your choice to use to recommend it or leave a nice review. Uh, tell a friend if if you like the show. Also, you know that's the main way we grow these days. We're not getting written up in in uh, in media anymore because we're not a new thing for people to talk about, and uh, so we're just all word of mouth from here on in, pretty much. If you like what you've heard today, go on over to maximumfun.org/donate. Help keep the show going long into the future. Yeah. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, in which it is up to Ben and I to figure out if it is fact or fiction. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.